This episode of AHLA Speaking of Health Law is brought to you by AHLA members and donors like you. For more information, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org. Hi, I'm Norm Tabler with this month's edition of The Lighter Side of Health Law. Elective injuries. You've heard of elective surgeries, now come elective injuries. That's what some physicians and hospitals are calling the injuries resulting from the viral phenomenon called the milk crate challenge. You've probably seen it, if not on YouTube, then on local TV. Plastic milk crates are arranged in a pyramid and some idiot tries to walk to the top of the pyramid and then down the other side. Well, guess what happens? Here's a hint. It's why they call it a challenge. It's hard to get to the top of the pyramid and then down to the other side. People fall very frequently, and when they fall, they get hurt, and when they get hurt, they go to the ER. I don't know about you, but for me, the most painful part would be explaining to the ER doc whatever possessed me to take part in a dumb stunt like milk crate climbing. There's no truth to the rumor that the milk crate challenge was a marketing brainstorm of the American Society of Orthopedic Surgeons. Multitasking at work. There's always been a debate about the concept of multitasking. Some people think it's a valid concept, and that in today's complicated world, you need to be able to do more than one thing at a time to survive. Others insist that your mind can only be on one thing at a time, and you're kidding yourself to think otherwise. Well, this debate came to mind when I read about the federal case against the longtime chair of the UPMC Cardiothoracic Surgery Department. If the allegations are true, then Dr. Luktich is a firm believer in multitasking. How do I know? Because the indictment says that according to his billing records, he was sometimes in three different ORs at the same time, simultaneously performing heart surgery on all three patients. That's the basis of the false claims case brought against the doctor and the hospital. How did the feds learn about the doctor's three-at-a-time operations? Another doctor at the hospital turned whistleblower. The case is U.S. versus Luktich, Western District, Pennsylvania. Busy Bee Trophy. This month's Busy Bee Trophy goes to Michigan Dr. Vernon Proctor. When the Michigan Court of Appeals looked into Dr. Vern's records, it discovered that in a single 12-month period, he had prescribed medical marijuana for a whopping 22,000 patients. That's right, 22,000. By my calculations, if Dr. Vern spent every minute of every eight-hour workday in every one of the 52 weeks in a year, that would amount to 5.67 minutes per marijuana-needy patient, And the 5.67 minutes per patient would decrease if, say, Dr. Verne ever took a day off, a lunch or a bathroom break, or time to see a non-marijuana needy patient. The court agreed with the administrative judge that Dr. Verne could not possibly have met the standard of care for the 22,000 patients, so the court suspended Dr. Verne's medical license for two years, giving him a much-needed break from the marijuana-prescribing treadmill. By the way, the Busy Bee Trophy is not the usual cup. It's a pot. The case is Enri... Vernon Proctor, M.D., Michigan Court of Appeals. A real knee slapper. SLAPP stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. The purpose of SLAP laws is to allow dismissal of lawsuits designed to prevent the exercise of constitutional rights. For example, when a coal company brings a defamation suit against someone for saying that fossil fuels hurt the environment. David Stone was unhappy with the way his knees felt after surgery by Dr. Malillo. So he began a campaign to inform the world of his unhappiness including picketing the doctor's hospital with signs and handing out flyers saying the doctor performed unnecessary surgery, botched the surgery, and generally ruined his life. When the doctor sued Stone for defamation, Stone invoked the Texas slap law and moved to dismiss. But the court ruled that the doctor could maintain the suit because the dispute was a private squabble, not an issue of public concern. Stone's actions were defamatory per se, he was making factual assertions, not opinion, and his medical records 
proved that his statements were false. So Stone's slap motion to dismiss was denied and the doctor's defamation suit allowed to proceed. One silver lining for Stone is that now he has an excuse to stop picketing, which was really tough on his bum knees. The case is Stone versus Melillo, Texas Court of Appeals. Brief lapse of judgment. You might say Pittsburgh attorney Jeffrey Pollack had a brief lapse in judgment when he displayed his briefs outside the Allegheny County family courtroom. When Jeff went through the metal detector, the alarm sounded. Jeff knew the reason. He keeps his trousers up with braces, sometimes called suspenders. Braces have two metal clips in front for adjusting the length of the braces. Jeff says he asked the guard to use his wand rather than making him go through the metal detector again. The guard had a different idea. Jeff should remove the braces, put them in a bin, and run them through the machine. Jeff refused. Why? Well, Jeff says, it's a pain in the neck to remove the braces. You have to unbutton four buttons in front and two in back. Then afterward, rebutton all six, all the while holding your trousers up with one hand. So he removed his trousers, braces attached, and put them in the bin. That man he was standing trouserless outside the family courtroom displaying his briefs for the world to see, which caused the sheriff to charge him with disorderly conduct. In something of an understatement, Jeff later commented, I used poor judgment. Let's get casual. They're getting pretty casual down in Tennessee, at least when it comes to estate planning. The Tennessee Court of Appeals has upheld an unwitnessed one-sentence bequest handwritten on a page in a book. What's more, it contains only the first name of the deceased, Mickey Thompson, and it's written in the third person as though it's about Mickey rather than by her. It reads in its entirety, quote, Albert Reed Lewin shall receive $3,000 per month for life, is appreciation for his care and complete dedication to Mickey and her welfare. The court overlooked the absence of Mickey's last name, absence of a witness, and the fact that it reads as though someone else was writing about Mickey, it upheld the bequest. It probably helped that the page was in the Bible. The case is Estate of Mickey Thompson. The Trouble with Skimpy Briefs An Illinois appellate court has had it with lawyers with skimpy briefs. Bonnie Wiles' estate sued the University of Chicago Med Center for negligence. The Med Center denied being negligent and asserted the affirmative defense that Bonnie was contributorily negligent due to a history of smoking and refusing to follow medical advice. The jury delivered a general verdict for the defendant. The estate appealed, and this is where the skimpy briefs come in. The brief did not include a complete statement of facts. Instead, it focused exclusively on the issue of smoking and contributory negligence. What's more, and this is what really steamed the court, there was no citation to the record to support the statement of facts about that issue. The court's response was withering. Quote, It is not our duty to scour the record in an effort to understand an appellant's case, when the appellant fails to adequately describe the pleadings below. The court ruled that because of the skimpy briefing and violation of court rules, the appellant had forfeited the case. The case is Cox versus University of Chicago Med Center, Appellate Court of Illinois. Having your cake and eating it too. Pharmacy owner Peter Bolos wanted to have his cake, but he also wanted to eat it. He's charged with running a massive health insurance billing fraud scheme. How massive? One billion dollars. That's billion with a B. But he has a defense, reliance on advice of counsel. My lawyers told me it was legal, he insisted. That's the cake he wanted to have. Okay, said the government. Show us the lawyer's documents giving you that advice. No way, Bolos responded. That's privileged. I don't have to reveal those documents. That's when federal judge Ronnie Greer explained that he had eaten that cake when he invoked the advice of counsel defense. The order reads, Defendant Bolos is ordered to immediately provide all withheld documents to the United States. The case is U.S. versus Assad, Eastern District, Tennessee. Jeff sends his regrets. North Dakota lawmaker Jeff Holverson spent a lot of time and effort into organizing and publicizing his November 8 rally against COVID vaccine mandates. Sadly, Jeff was unable to attend his own rally. 
Why? Because Jeff had come down with, you guessed it, COVID. Well, that's it for this month's edition of The Lighter Side of Health Law. I hope you enjoyed it. Check your AHLA Weekly and Health Law Connections magazine for the next edition. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.